Good evening, I'm John Mayer, I'm tonight's producer. I'm just the, the warm-up act before, before the real thing comes on. You switch off your mobile phones, please, first off. That would make life easier for all of us. We have an incredibly distinguished cast tonight to just for the first ever discussion on the cans of the media. I'm going to make just one point. If you're going to ask a question, can you ask a question? We're not in the business of taking statements. We are, if you want to make a statement, as Sam Golden would say, go and use Western Union. Ask a question, because that, that's why we're here. If you do make a statement, um, Steve will be in the business of, uh, of, uh, of cutting you short. Um, without further ado, Charlie Becker, who's, who's Director of Polis. Thanks very, thanks, thanks very much, John. Um, as he says, my name is Charlie Beckett. I'm the director of Polis, which is the media and society think tank here at the London School of Economics and at the London College of Communication. And we're all about doing what we're doing tonight, really, which is providing somewhere where the public and the media can come, come together to talk about what happens in the media and how it affects us all. Um, talking of the London College of Communication, uh, on uh, Monday... Uh, they hosted uh, Alistair Campbell, who uh, was addressing the rights and wrongs of the media. Uh, amongst his statements was a comment on the, the whole coverage of the McCanns, where he described the media coverage as the worst example of recent times. It quickly became a commodity in which most of the media got close to hysteria. Um, another person uh, with great media experience, Kelvin McKenzie, who's here tonight, has also described the McCann story uh, he described it as the best story of my life. And in a way, I think uh, they're both right. And that's what we're here to, to talk about tonight, which is the media coverage of it and what it says about the media, what it says about uh, the people, us, who consume it. Um, I should warn um, those, well, everyone speaking tonight, that tonight's going to be podcast, so you'll be able to hear it all again. Um, so if you have any objections about being recorded, then keep stum, basically. Um, but otherwise, I'm now going to step aside because there's a lot to get through. We've got some, a fantastic cast of people who have experience of the media over time, and in this particular uh, story uh, uh, especially. What we are here, though, to discuss is not whether the rights and wrongs of the case itself, but very much the, the media coverage and the implications of it. So have a good evening, have a good debate, and I'll hand over now to Steve Hewlett. Thanks, Steve. Uh, thanks very much, and uh, welcome uh, on behalf of your panel. As uh, I think John and others have said, it, this evening will only work if you contribute, so uh, do be thinking, and when the opportunity presents itself, uh, you know, do, do try to be brief and succinct, but of course your contributions are very welcome. Uh, it's probably the biggest story of last year. If it's not the biggest story, it's almost certainly the most reported and covered story of last year. But we have a, a panel that uh, would be hard to beat. Uh, on my right we have uh, Kelvin McKenzie, former editor of The Sun, as many of you will know, now a Sun columnist with a variety of other media interests. Uh, on my left, uh, Clarence Mitchell, former BBC correspondent, and now, and forgive me if I get this wrong, I think you're the official spokesman for Jerry and Kate McCann. I am, that's right. right. Uh, also in the front row down here, you'll hear from them shortly, we have David Mills and Roger Grafe, two filmmakers, both of whom have made uh, documentaries about the case. Uh, we have Justine McGuinness, who was uh, spokesperson for the McCann family at an earlier stage. And we have Roy Greenslade, who's a, a fellow Guardian columnist of mine and a professor of journalism at City University. So, we'll crack on. Uh, Kelvin will give us, or the format, I should say, uh, Kelvin will give us uh, two, three or four minutes of his view, a bit of Q&A. Uh, 
Uh, well, I'll ask to do the same, a bit of Q&A, primarily for me in the first place, otherwise if I open it up too early, we'll never get there. We'll hear from the people on the front row, and then it's over to you. So, Kelvin. Well, um, <clears throat> I've felt right from day one that the McCann story was going to be the most significant story in my lifetime. On the basis that if you, if you, if you, if you take, take the McCann issue, there are only two facts. One of them is that the child is missing, and the other one is that the parents are the main suspects. Every other story has been a spin-off of those two main facts, which in itself is amazing when you consider the amount of column inches that is devoted to it day in and day out. And the issue that we have to face is the following. Without the finding of the child, this story is going to be in all our lives forever. And it will live beyond Lord Lucan, it will go beyond Princess Diana, and it will go beyond Shergar. And the issues for that, the reasons for that are the following. Uniquely, this was a middle-class child that was kidnapped from middle class, upper middle-class parents, which in itself makes it, makes it strange. And I never thought about this till I wrote a piece actually defending the McCanns fairly early on in the piece. Now, clearly, the Sun readership is made up, as, as you might expect, of C1s and D2s, if you're going to do it in its demographic form. Their attitude was astonishing. I've had two massive mailbags in my time. And when I mean massive, I mean email bags. This, and I would describe them as more than eight to 10,000 emails. And that is, I can't even describe to you how massive eight to 10,000 emails is. One of them was when I suggested that the fireman wasn't a hero at Glasgow and that, that he should never have actually put out the flames of the terrorist. He w my view was that the guy should have gone, wanted to go to Allah, and we should have welcomed him on his way. Okay, so that, by the way, I would say of that 8 to 10,000, 98.8% .8 said that I should be Prime Minister. The, the second one, and, and more seriously, was when I wrote saying that um, we should have sympathy for the McCanns. Uh, they were de in their heart, they were decent people even if they had made an error, right? Now, that is a pretty liberal, not particularly intellectual view of what happened, okay? Eight to 10,000 emails <coughs> later, of which 99.9% .9 said I was a scumbag, that I had no idea how ordinary people felt, that, um, and by the way, this, by the way, remember, this is, this is thousands of emails saying this, right? in which the point was that had this been a single black mother from Brixton or something, we would, I would have been saying she should be hung. Okay? And actually, actually, you should all address yourselves just to wonder whether there might not be some truth in that. So that was the first time that I recognised that an audience like this tonight would almost certainly be completely at odds with the beating heart of the ordinary couples 
ordinary people in this country. And it's something to reflect on when you read stories about the McCanns. You have to think to yourself, do I think like the majority of this country, or am I actually, am I actually detached from it? It's, a, it's a, quite an interesting analysis. Let's move on to the journalism. Prior to coming here, I spoke to one of the journalists that's out there all the time, one of the print journalists. Basically, it's the Daily Mail, Telegraph, Sun Mirror, and sort of the Daily Express. Um, and they are the only, they are the only constant presences in, uh, in uh, carrying out the coverage. In this country, if such an event, such a crime of this magnitude had happened, the following would have, would have taken place. After about uh, two to three days, the journalists covering the case would be brought together by probably the detective chief superintendent, possibly because of the scale uh, of the size of this kind of shocking crime, possibly uh, assistant chief constable, possibly even the chief constable himself, I doubt it, but certainly assistant chief constable level. And we'll be called together, everybody, a totally off-the-record briefing, explaining what had happened, what they thought was happening, what they expected the outcome to be, and what, by and large, the facts were. That's not all the facts, but you would literally have probably 90, 95% of the story. 5% would be held back, obviously, for other reasons. But they treat the press as grown up, and the newspapers would then have run a wholly accurate story on what the police knew at that time. I mean, the police look upon it in two ways. One, that there is a right for the public to know, because if there is a kidnapper out there, they should be careful. Or if not, then perhaps something else. And secondly, that, the, um, uh, that it stops speculation. It stops the vacuum uh, being filled by wholly untrue stories, which is a situation which currently exists in Portugal today. The journalist I spoke to, literally two days ago, said that in the entire time, and what the class, how long now, exactly? How long since Madeline disappeared? 272 days. In 272 days, there has been one three-minute telephone conversation which took place about three weeks ago with an English journalist. So, wherever these stories come from, they don't come from the police. In, with, it, with it not coming from the police, with not having accuracy, therefore you get the situation today, which is utterly bizarre, where the Portuguese papers run the opposite of each other, even when they're the same papers, every other day. So one day the McCanns did it and this is how they did it. Day two, it was kidnapped and this is who did it. Day three, there was a guy with a hairy face. Day four, there was a clean-shaven guy. They know nothing. They know nothing. The cops will say nothing. Now, the problem with that is a problem, I think, for um, the McCanns because this country, I am... I suspect many of you here are, even though they might, you might not like to say it in a, in, a, in a crowded auditorium, are obsessed with what happens. And how do I know you're obsessed? Right? Is it a guess? It's not a guess, is it? 
It's a commercial judgment based on what happens when newspapers put the McCann story on the front page. Now, what happens is they get a rise of somewhere between 2 and 3%. Now, if, 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 if a paper like The Sun, which sells 3 million a day, gets a rise of 90 to 100,000, that is a significant thing. For instance, take the Ashley Cole story. The younger members of this audience may know who Ashley Cole is and may know <laughs> which story it's about. Okay? Um, so if you take the Ashley Cole story, that kind of story does that kind of thing. But that's on day one, and perhaps on day two. The incredible thing about the McCanns is, of course, this has now been going on for nearly what is it, nine months. Yeah, nearly right. nine months. And by the way, depending on what kind of story it was, would have exactly the same effect today as it did nine months ago. So when you come to criticise, I'm sure many of you um, have rather hostile views about the media. Before you ask, ask your question, do look at yourselves and say, A, am I obsessed with this? And B, and I'll pass, go through Waterloo Station and I'll see a billboard which says McCann's dramatic breakthrough whether you don't hand over your 50p. So if we could keep hypocrisy to the minimum in this debate, it may be less interesting but more, but, but more intelligent. Thank you very much for that. Um, what, just a couple of questions for me. Uh, why do you think that your readers had such a, if I've, mis if I've misunderstood you, forgive me, why do you think they had such a negative view? Uh, because, actually, actually what, what does emerge out of this, which, which, which is interesting, on the basis that I suspect many of us have done something similar on holiday, perhaps not quite all three children and perhaps not twins of 18 months. But oh, you, you mean leaving them? It's the leaving okay. behind yeah. of, of, of the three in the room um, and, and the, the I mean, the horrible, by the way, some, some of the emails you get even about the most bland of subjects can be absolutely vile, right? Um, but since I write vile stuff in return, I can hardly complain about it. Um, is that, um, is, it, it's the leaving behind. They say in some way, <coughs> they, they seem to balance up that this was, they were deserving of something happening because this was so wrong. So, so it, it's not that people it's think... A it's a, definitely a class war issue. Okay. No, no mucking about about that. Definitely a class issue. So, very so, wide. So, so the C2Ds well and these sort of, as it were, don't think it's the right thing to do, wouldn't do it. The ABs have maybe been on Mark Warner holidays or yeah. similar and have yeah. all done it themselves, sort of thing. Or is it that, or did you get the sense that people think that there may be some active complicity in the events? Is no. It, is, is it that they no, just, I, I, I they've been irresponsible and they deserve yeah, I, ne they, I never once received, never, never once received an email which says, we believe they did it. So, but they do want them to see them punished. There's definitely an air of punishment demanding out there that they should suffer and be charged now with negligence. Okay. I mean, you rightly look at this audience and say, you know, how many people in here wouldn't put their hand in their pocket for 50p or whatever it might be when you see a poster saying McCann being breakthrough. That's a fair point. So to some degree, if people don't buy it, people don't, you know, then the papers wouldn't do it. But do you think the commercial significance of the sales increase that can be generated by, let's call it, a good front page on the mechanics, has that led some papers at least 
to play fast and loose with the sort of things that they'll print. Well, I, I presume you're, you're referring to the Daily Express. Well, that's one that was come to mind, isn't it? Okay. Actually, I defend the Daily Express because I think that they understood more clearly earlier on that that is what, after all, newspapers are commercial, they're unlicensed products, and they are uh, commercial. That's the reason that they're there. I mean, you know, uh, papers like The Guardian only survive because they choose stories that are not of interest and only survive, only survive by buying things that are of interest and selling them at a profit and subsidising the newspapers. Now, that's a very nice idea and may outlive the independent. It may be a fantastic, may be a new model for us all. But uh, the, the, the reality of it is the Daily Express is not in that position. But do you think, are, but are they, are they, are they, I mean, people are interested and the papers exist as commercial operations to give people things that they're interested in. That's, that is true. Uh, that's undeniably true. Yeah. But have standards been affected by the sheer draw of filthy lucre in terms of how many sales you can put on by having a McCann headline? I mean, <coughs> the Express is one case in point, but it's true of the standard, I think, was putting on to double-digit thousands. I mean, you know, 10, 10, 15, 20,000 copies uh, a throw. Well, every time so the, the draw to put things on the front page, whether or not you think they're true, if you can find any way of putting it there, you sort of do. Well, I, I don't know about, I, I simply don't know about the evening standard. I very much doubt they're sticking stuff on the front, and, uh, you know, just to get a brief bit when it's not true. Uh, however, look at it in a different manner. One of the great strengths of the online world, and this is where you have to wonder about why you need news editors, news news directors in television or, or, or in radio, is because actually, you could actually say, here are the list get your news list and get your news list around about 5 o'clock, all your great stories stick them online and just see which stories the public then went to and then run your paper then put your stories in that order, i.e. the order that the public want not on the order of some clapped-out bloody editor, you know, sick and hates the proprietor, pissed three days a week, <coughs> fighting with the bloody deputy. Why bother with that? Why not just allow the public? And on that basis, by the way, you'd lead on McCann three days out of seven. Right, just let me ask you one more question, then we'll, we'll move on to Clarence. Do you think... By the way, this is great fun, actually. All of these, old, these ideas, which I never thought were worth anything now. Uh, uh, well, well, <laughs> Don't put next week's wages on it anyway. Um, do you think there's anything about the way that this has been... I mean, one other thing that, that's, that's unique about this, and Clarence is here to talk about this, is that I can't remember... A, a, there are, the children have gone missing, the, the police have cocked up, you know, families have been blamed. I can't remember a murder case like this being dealt with in such a sort of professional sort of media it's management not necessarily kind of way. A murder case. Sorry, forgive me. Uh, yeah. a, a case like this, which has had media management applied to it in this sort of form. No. Has that had any impact, do you think, on the way it's been covered, positive or negative? Well, first of all, I think it's a fantastic idea, a, a, a really incredible idea, because the McCanns could not have lived their life without Clarence or um, the lady that preceded him. It, they, they just couldn't. It would have been a nightmare. Outside the house, these people, after all, I think Mr. McCann, he's now back at work. He is. Yes. Yeah. And Mrs. McCann ha hasn't gone back to work. She has no intention of going back to work. And she has no intention of going back to work. The doorstepping that would be going on there, the phone ringing constantly, that this, something would have to have been done. So this is a unique and, to my mind, very clever answer. However, ordinary people don't associate public relations with 
truth. Now, I know this is a disgrace, and Alistair Campbell, I'm, I'm amazed he hasn't had a peerage with the bloody thing, you know? Um, so, um, I, uh, so, I think ordinary people view this with uh, sort of a raised eyebrow. And the, I suppose the other issue that emerges out of it, personally, I don't. I think it's a great idea, fantastic idea. More people should do it if they want to live lives um, it, back in some kind of normal life, if they haven't, if they haven't been guilty. But the, the issue for them, I think, is that ordinary people will look at this and wonder, when they read stories about you know, half a million pounds being <coughs> offered by Oprah, somebody, you know, Barbara Waters offering three quarters of a million. All entirely they, untrue. Yeah, yeah, okay, well, there we are. There we are. Uh, but if they read stories like that, or they read stories about funds running out, and they read stories about um, you know, having to rattle a can again, perhaps, you know, um, probably quite wrongly but they sort of in some way think there might be some sort of sticky fingers associated with it and that in some curious way uh, some curious way um, the McCann's would benefit now that is not true that is not true but considering all the stuff that surrounded the circus that has surrounded the McCann's uh, you can't blame them for thinking that thank you very much for that Clarence um, you've been you're, you're necessary but there's a downside <laughs> necessary evil um, <clears throat> yes, of course there's a downside. People, as, as Calvin rightly says, are inherently suspicious of public relations and the need to have somebody in my position. As Kelvin again correctly says, they could not have survived without not just me or Justine. Or, somebody needs to help them in the modern media era with the 24-hour, 24-7 demands of not just the print, the, the, the press, but the broadcast media from around the world. It is beyond relentless. Um, and I find with my experience, as I'm sure Justine did at times, it is almost beyond you to, to cope with it yourself. But we acted, and Justine acted, as a buffer, uh, an important buffer for them. Uh, and that's what I continue to try to do. And yes, it may sound unbelievable in this day and age, but yes, I am trying to tell the truth in all of this. And the truth is very simple. It is this, that Madeline was abducted on May the 3rd last year. She has not been found. The communication with the police in Portugal has been minimal at best. The fact that Jerry and Kate have been made our Guido suspect status has complicated the situation from our point of view considerably. But there are cultural differences as to what our Guido actually means. You say the word suspect over here, it has a far more pejorative uh, aspect to it. Over there it means you're of interest to the case and they may choose to talk to you at certain points. But I'll come to that separately. Um, again, I thank Kelvin for making the point that she was kidnapped. That is the truth of what happened. She was taken. And we are simply trying to do our best to find her. And the media is a very powerful weapon in that process. Jerry and Kate engaged with it from the off. Despite some of the exaggerations surrounding that, they did not phone the press or Sky News before the police were contacted. A lot of that effort came from this country in the early stages, from relatives who were already ringing around. And I would defy any family in the modern era who has access to a laptop or to a PC and the internet to not do the same uh, if their child had gone missing under those circumstances. A lot of it was being done by relatives and friends back in England in the small hours of the night of May the 4th, unbeknown to Jerry and Kate. They, didn't, they weren't even aware of the huge scale of the media interest until they got back from the police station to see the number of television crews that were beginning to gather outside the apartment. 
I'll, I'll talk about the journalism and the appalling standards that, are, frankly, are, are shame me as a former reporter myself that, that, that have been going on and that the sloppiness and laziness of some of the journalism and the lack of independence of thought or independent checking of facts that has gone on and continues to go on to this day. Um, but other than to say, and again, without going into the merits of innocent or indeed perceived guilt, that's not what we're here to discuss tonight. But I firmly believe in Caden Jerry's innocence. I have been with them both for a month when it happened uh, in a government capacity uh, as a secondee to the Foreign Office from the Cabinet Office in my previous job. And I've been with them now for four and a half months or so since coming back on board at their request. And I have never once seen or heard anything from either of them to give me any cause for suspicion in any shape or form. And as a result, I've also had briefings privately from the police uh, and uh, CEOP, the Child Exploitation Online Protection Centre, uh, before I went out the first time, but also gave me complete reassurance that the authorities in this country certainly are treating this as a case of rare stranger abduction, as they call it. And on that basis, then, I'm very happy to go out and defend them to the hilt at every single occasion, and that's what I'll do. And I'm not normally the sort of committed person who, who, who rises to a cause and, and champions a particular cause. I'm as sceptical as the next reporter. And all the questions that have gone through many of the press's minds, indeed observers' minds, come, come to mind in the, in the first instance. But as I say, I've received categorical assurances from the authorities here and through normal human contact with Jerry and Kate. When you're with them, you realize that they are a loving family that has been torn apart by this and they want nothing more than their daughter returned. And in the absence of any evidence to the contrary, i.e. her body being discovered, let's face it, that's what we're talking about, they cling to the hope that she is still alive. And with every day that passes without her body being found, if indeed she's dead, and we don't accept she is, uh, they actually draw some strength from that. But it is incredibly hard. They are living in this huge goldfish bowl, which is magnified on an hourly basis by the requests that keep coming, piling in, and the distortions that have surrounded some of the reporting of this case. To come to the journalism, yep, again, as, as Kelvin says, uh, there are reporters still in Portugal today, nearly nine months on, and they will continue to be there because, let's face it, this story sells papers. Uh, the figures you mentioned, uh, we've been told that uh, an average front page story can put up to 70,000 copies onto uh, a mid-market tabloid such as the Express, uh, and there is definitely a commercial imperative here. It's a fine line. Yes, Jerry and Kate wanted the media, we wanted the media to assist. And at the beginning, everybody was pulling in the same direction. There was a missing girl out there. It's fresh, it's just happened. Let's get the information out there, get people aware of this, and let's get, let's get her found fast. And we remain grateful to this day for the positive press coverage and broadcast coverage that, that continues to occasionally occur. It has been immensely supportive, and the very fact we're here tonight having this discussion shows the level of interest and the fact that Madeline's profile is still out there, and that is important. What we have taken issue with and, continue to, and our lawyers continue to review uh, is the aspect of coverage that is, as I say, not only distorted but willfully misrepresentative at times of the facts as we know them or the, the, the lack of facts. Uh, in that vacuum, I'm afraid, some very sloppy standards have crept in. And as an example, I can give you this. I'm not going to single out individual papers. We are not happy with the Express. I'll give you that. But um, the Express group, indeed, the star as well. Uh, but how it works is this simple. 
when I was a reporter, you used to have, certainly for the BBC, the idea of running a story, you'd, you'd have to be sure of your facts from at least certainly two sources if you could. At the modern era with 24-7 television the way it is, the pressure to get facts out there now is such that even that has been relaxed by some of our more august broadcasters. And they will sometimes go on one, one source as long as it's suitably attributed. The British press on this are just lifting stuff willy-nilly from the Portuguese press, which, as Kelvin says, they know nothing. They then rerun it over here. It then gets picked up by the Portuguese press the next day. And the respected British press has run this story, so it must be true, when in fact all they've done is rehashed their, their, their previous story. I mean, if there are green awards for recycling, it should go to the press in both Portugal and uh, the British press and, and, and the Portuguese. Um, the reporters sit in a bar called Hugo Beatty's, which has the lethal combination of free Wi-Fi and alcohol. And that is where they do their stories. They write the stories. They wait for the Portuguese press to be delivered each morning. They then lift the stories wholesale. They then ring Mitchell. I say, this is rubbish. It's not true. That's it. Balanced comment. Out it goes. It appears in the press. And then gets rerun and rerun. Yes. Yeah. Not yet, you haven't. Yeah, can, can you just let, let's let, no, we, you, you, we you'll, you'll, you'll get you'll get, I was, you, you will get your chance. Okay, well, okay, you, look, okay, you, okay, hold on, hang on, hang on, hang on, look, look we, we, we might be able to speak, it's there, it's there for obviously, you, hang, on, hang on, hold on, you, you, hang on, you've come to listen to them, listen to them, and then you have your say, okay, you will get your chance, I'll, 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 I'll wind it up, I'll wind it up, suffice to say, and also, distortion is, has then found its way into headlines presented as hard fact, not even with the, the courtesy of parenthesis or its claimed on it, which is no defence against libel either, um, but essentially, um, the, the Kate and Jerry's name, their good reputation has been entirely besmirched by some of the coverage and, and my basic case is that it is entirely founded on misinformation, misunderstanding or willful distortion in the vast majority of cases and I would say that of all the negative stories that you've seen or read about them you can disbelieve absolutely every single one of them and that is not me saying it because yes he's the spokesman he would say that wouldn't he it is simply because I'm aware of the broad facts surrounding each story and the genesis of each story and they are mostly wrong or are a complete misunderstanding of what has happened I'll, I'll, to, to respect the gentleman over there, I'll, I'll, I'll wind up now. Well, just, so, just let me ask a couple of things. Um, when I've talked to journalists who have been there on the ground, yeah. they describe your role and the role of the, and Justine's role previously as a bit more than a buffer. They describe your role, the role of the campaign, as managing the media in, in, a rather, in, in the sense that attempting to seize control of the agenda, to keep a steady flow of stories going, to do the things that you would do if you were running a, sort of PR, a regular PR operation yep. for a city firm in London. I, now, I in the end, that has led some of them, honest and straightforward reporters as most of them are, to come to the conclusion that to, to feel less than sympathetic towards the way that they've been treated. I accept that I, it, I would be failing in my job if I did not see a particular opportunity for a particular story or line of, of development in the story to be placed. And what I happens mean, when those stories turn out to be untrue? For example, we, the Moroccan case. What do you mean? What about well, if, if, I, if I recall, it was briefings from your side, as it were, mm -hmm. that led to the identification of the girl, of the girl in Morocco 
uh, the photographs appeared in the papers and so on and so on. As I understand it, the Portuguese police had been there some time before no, the Portuguese and, police eliminated and, and no. met the family and eliminated the story. With respect, Steve, another example of the misinformation in this. Portuguese police are not allowed to operate in Morocco. They have to rely on the Moroccan police to act on their behalf. And that child was, seen, was photographed by a Spanish tourist who, when she saw some of our publicity, suddenly remembered that she'd seen a child that she thought could have been mad at the time, but had done nothing about it at that stage. She then went back to her, her memory stick found the picture in Spain, sent it to the Spanish police, who then alerted the Moroccans and the Portuguese, and by the time that the Moroccan authorities had got there, our investigators, M3, had got there first to identify her as not being married. So are you saying that you've, you've, you've never... It's a legitimate possibility. Okay, but you've never put stories out there which have subsequently turned out to be not true. Why would I say we think Madeleine's in Morocco and leak that to the press? I wouldn't. We'd go there and get her. No, that was a legitimate sighting that came in and we acted on it as quickly as possible. So I suppose what, what, what people are, some people are prone to think is that, the, is that one consequence of being continually fed stories in the manner of a professional PR campaign mm -hmm. is that you, you eventually you tire of the stories you're being fed in the, in the belief, perhaps mis, misplaced of course, quite likely, more than likely misplaced, that what this is being done as not quite a smoke screen, but sort of keep you busy while you don't, so you don't ask too many questions about this. But I am not feeding stories on a daily basis like that. If it was a machine pumping it out, I'd accept that, but I'm not. The last thing that I actually put out was our news conference the other weekend when we released the artist's impression of the man that we're still looking for as being seen by the witness, Gail Cooper, at the end of April. Do you think That's the last thing I did. The rest of the time, I'm dealing with the calls, saying not true. Okay. Was, it, was it appropriate for you to describe him as a suspect in the manner of a sort of police press conference, uh, which was actually your private detectives employed by you, well, not policemen of any description? We suspect he may be linked to Madeline's uh, disappearance, yeah, possibly. But you, but you did it in the manner of a police press conference, and, that, and here's the picture of the suspect. Well, how else would I do it? How else would I do it? I would say, here's a man that we're, we're interested in chatting to. No, we believe he's a suspect. Did the police police have any interest in him? Um, they were aware of what we were doing. We told them the day before that we were going to. Was do the it. information sent to them before it was released in the public? They had it, yes, just beforehand. No, when you said just, was it, did you give it to them and say, look, we think this is important? They, they, they then spent 10 days. They two have weeks been aware, it. if you recall. Or did you say, like, the, the day before or the, or the hour before? No, no, about no, no. Sort of press They've had the information since the end of May and have chosen to do nothing with it. What, that yeah. picture? No, because they didn't commission a picture. No, we, we commissioned yeah. it because Gail had given her information to, first of all, Nottinghamshire Police when she realised what had happened to Madeline. Uh, that was then passed via Leicestershire to the PJ, the Portuguese police, for those that don't know. And um, the last contact Gail had with the police was the end of May. And when she came to our knowledge, again, through some media exposure of her sighting, because she'd written, read about another similar sighting where a man had called talking about an orphanage, a non-existent orphanage in the mountains, she, we then, our investigators found her, we then talked to her, and we said, have the police commissioned a drawing of the man that you saw on three separate occasions? She said, no. So we said, right, we'll do it. That's what we did. So and, and we told them shortly before the news okay. conference. We'll, 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 we'll move on. Just let me ask you just, just one more. So do, do you accept that managing the media in this way has, has contributed in any sense to some of the negativity that you may see around the place in terms of what people sort of basically think is going on? As Kelvin says, people don't associate PR with truth. And this has got PR stamped all over it, really. Uh, well, you may be between a rock and a hard place, I would say. Well, well, I mean, people are perfectly entitled to their, their views, and I understand that inherent suspicion of public relations as, as a sphere. However, in this case, I can honestly, hand on heart, say I have never said anything to any reporter, privately, off the record or on the record, that I believe to be untrue. Everything I have said has been aimed at one sole aim in mind, and that is to find Madeleine and to bring her home to her parents.
Okay. Uh, we'll just hear briefly, if we can, from our, uh, the other people who were invited, and then we'll open it up to the audience. Uh, Roger Gray, you made a film about this. What's your take on it? Huh? Sorry? Uh, there's, one, there's one coming here, Roger. Roger, Roger. There's, there's one there. <coughs> oh, okay, yes, well, I, I will try not to ramble, I, was, but I'll do the best I can just to give you some information that you wouldn't have otherwise. Um, I was not only making this film, but I was also asked a number of times, interviewed a number of times, because I'm a criminologist associated with the LSE, as a matter of fact. Um, and it was very interesting being asked to comment on something when it wasn't just that we didn't have the details of the case, we had no idea what was happening at all. And we only had the single facts that Kelvin said, you know, and, and, uh, and Clarence said that the girl, you know, she had been taken or at least she was gone. And for the first four months, there was also no question of the parents being a suspect. So to be a commentator, this, I, I'm going to talk to you now, not just telling about, as were my experience as a filmmaker, but what the purpose of this seminar is about, which is what can we learn from the media. And what was really interesting was that I was constantly being pressed to say things that I couldn't possibly say because nothing had happened. And so to comment on something that hadn't happened, or there was no substance to it, is a real kind of factoid. We were being asked to sort of create something that people will then comment on. And what I was trying to do time and time again was comment on that, on the fact that there was nothing to say. And that was a very interesting contradiction. In, in media terms. And oddly enough, it seemed to appeal to people because I kept being rung you know, by other stations. People all over the world would ring up and say, well, what, that was a very interesting comment you were making. And I said, well, I was just saying there was nothing to say. Now, isn't that interesting? And, and so, in a way, I was caught in a kind of curious Kafka-like game, you know, Borges, all of these wonderful, you know, fantasy stories of talking about nothing. And that was really very interesting. And the most wonderful moment of that not rambling, it's just a clear example of it, is I was being asked to comment while the chief superintendent, where he was a detective, chief detective in Portugal, had his press conference. Was, some people may remember if you were following the story because it was the first time the police said anything to the public at all. And not only was there not an English translator in Portugal who was much good, but the BBC, I was on News 24, and the BBC in the studio said, we're going to halt the interview while we go back and forth to Portugal. And they had a Portuguese translator in the studio whose English wasn't very good. So there we were, all were hanging on the words of the detective who was saying in Portuguese, there is nothing to say. We cannot make a statement, <laughs> right? And it, he sort of waited, you know, we were... These words were being dragged out of him in th by three different stages of translator, after which I then had to say, nothing to say. Guess what? But the really interesting question was, can we bear the nothingness? Can we actually bear a narrative that starts but doesn't end? And those of you who follow Alfred Hitchcock uh, at all would know that one of his favorite tricks was to get into a lift in some tower block, you know, some office block. And he'd start by saying, you know, the girl, she went across to him, she took off her, and then he was just about to grab her by the, and then walk out of the lift, right? And then the doors would shut and everybody would say, what was that, right? And, and that was his sort of favorite party trick. And that's actually what was going on here. Now, the film, we are our dispatches. I don't know how many, can I just ask, how many people saw Searching for Madeline on Channel 4? 
not a bad number. It was the highest rating dispatches of the year, by the way. Kelvin's absolutely right. But what we attempted to do was take the temperature down and just say, what do we actually know? And if this were a British case, what will we do? And just to try and ground it, we did ask for the cooperation of the family. They said, no, we're not going to work with documentaries until after Madeleine was founded. So they went back to England at that point. They were still in Portugal. We were dealt with Justine many times trying to say, look, we're different. We are actually not trying to hide the story. We just want to include them. And just as a personal comment, I can't imagine as a parent going through the agony that they went through and the idea of being accused and abused in the way they were uh, for doing something that a lot of parents do, I think was a disgrace that we should all be ashamed of. And the blogs we got afterwards, having made this film, said because we hadn't accused them, we were in league not only with Clarence and Justine and the family, but with the government, that it was a plot to somehow hide their guilt. And I mean the majority of the blogs to Channel 4 said that, that somehow or other, because we had refused to accuse them, we were party to some curious fantasy. Now, I just thought that those are all the imaginary, the imaginary worlds in which overlap in which the government becomes conspiracy with a couple of parents who happened to have done something which obviously was an error of judgment. Can I but with a wrong. Can yes, I am. That's what I'm wrapping up. That's what, I, that's what I'm saying. That actually, once you open a kind of Pandora's box, which is really what happened, uh, it's very, very hard to close it. They haven't been able to do it yet, and I certainly hope that the story does have an ending, but it may never have one. Thank you, uh, thank you very much. D David Uh, David, I should say, because you don't have made a panorama about this, uh, which um, I don't know if this is necessarily relevant, but he took his name off it in the end, being unhappy yeah. with the way the BBC treated him. <laughs> yeah, well, there's so much to be said about the Mancan case, I'm going to say very little. Uh, first, like Kelvin, I'm a hack, and I think the story is one of the best I've ever encountered in my career. In fact, I have great difficulty in thinking of a better story. It, it, it has everything as a journalist. Having said that, I think it raises, much more so than Kelvin admits, I think it raises very serious issues, which worry me. I think it raises issues about police procedure. I think it raises issues about the current state of forensic science in this country. Above all, from a British perspective, I think it raises major questions about the behavior of the British press. I think part of my concern uh, stems from the way the McCann story echoes a whole series of cases in the United States which has caused considerable alarm there. Indeed, some commentators in the US think, and I agree with them, that the parallels are quite striking. In these American <coughs> cases, the behavior of police against parents, very similar to the McCants, who have never charged and who have been subsequently found to be entirely innocent, has been outrageous and indeed unlawful. But perhaps even worse in these American cases, as a journalist I find it worse, is that most of the American media has been instead of questioning what the police have been doing in these cases has been complicit in it for commercial reasons I think as Kelvin correctly raised clearly commercial reasons 
I think, indeed, the police tactics in these cases in the United States has depended upon the complicity of the American press and has been much strengthened by it. I think something similar has happened in the in the McCann case uh, with colleagues at CBS we did a lot of research on the ground in, the, in, in, in Portugal and much of what has happened stems from very early police suspicions about somehow inappropriate behaviour by these middle class parents who weren't behaving as they expected and from that a whole series I won't go into them but it's a fascinating set of mechanisms come into play and I am concerned that the British media, with some honourable exceptions, some very honourable exceptions, has done very little to expose this. And I think the issues that the McCann case raise, raise questions about the very rule of law. Not important questions, perhaps, because after all, it's a Portuguese case, most of what happened is in Portugal, but certainly questions that, that we need to, to have in mind. And I think as a result of the McCann case, uh, we are all just a little weaker, just slightly weaker, just a little bit more vulnerable. If the McCanns can be hounded in this way, so can any of us. I do not think the McCann case is unimportant. Uh, and I wish I could have more faith in the British media and it's uh, to, to address that, these sort of questions, which I think have been almost entirely absent in, in what we have read. David, thank you very much. Um, Justine. Justine McGuinness, as you know, was uh, a spokesperson for the family at an earlier stage. Um, first of all, I, I wasn't aware of what Calvin was going to say tonight, but I'm going to stick to the four points that I wanted to make. Um, I wanted to touch on the nature of the narrative, what Kate and Jerry McCann actually represent, the role commercial decisions made by the media played, and then the role that the early decisions that Kate and Jerry made actually um, played in developing the story. Firstly, the narrative of Madeleine McCann, on the face of it, is an easy story to understand. In May, a sweet, innocent little girl went to bed after having a great day out on holiday and sometime later an unknown person came into her room and took her from her bed and she's still missing today. Every parent's nightmare, a horror story we can all understand. The narrative of evil violating a home is as old as the hills. It plays to our common fears, so works on a communal as well as an individual basis. But this is only one of the factors that made the story so strong from the outset. Kate and Jerry McCann resonate with aspirational modern Britain. Let's be clear, I'm not commenting on their character. I'm, I'm commenting on what they represent. They both came from working class backgrounds, worked hard and developed successful media, uh, medical careers. <laughs> Slip of the tongue. <laughs> Kate had been a single mum, or if Jerry had been uh, out of work, I think this story would have been covered very differently from the outset. As it was, they were both articulate, presentable, and in a traditional relationship. 
They holidayed in a place where thousands of Britons go to, a safe choice, Portugal and holidaying with Mark Warner. This, coupled with the nature of the narrative, made the story an absolute gift for the media. Indeed, I know of at least one editor who changed their approach to the story in the very first few hours of it breaking, based solely on the fact that Kate and Jerry were doctors. That editor, like others, made decisions that made a decision that their readers could relate to Madeline's parents. It was a commercial decision. And here's the simple truth. Madeline McCann, sick as it may sound to some, sells newspapers and is good business for broadcasters such as Sky. Which brings me on to my final point. Kate and Jerry's, some of Kate and Jerry's early decisions, how they actually set the course of events and elongated the coverage. In order to be brief, and I know, you know, gentlemen's made a point, but in order to be brief, I'll, I'll gloss over two points. The decision to pool media access with no exclusives given and the use of the family to campaign in the UK while Kate and Jerry stayed in Portugal. But very early on, a decision was made to engage with the media. Various experts strongly advised them that this was the best thing to do to find Madeleine. I know there's been considerable debate about that decision, which no doubt we'll discuss in detail later. Also, soon after Madeleine's disappearance, the decision was made to use electronic communications. This has contributed to the development of the story and kept the story live. I was told by at least one newspaper man that the hits on his paper's website had influenced editorial policy. An interesting comparison might well be made with the Ben Needham case. Of course, there's a dark side of electronic communications that's been apparent with the Madeleine McCann story. While personally, I do find it distasteful that a missing child has been turned into a celeb, I understand why that has happened. But the celebritization of a little girl has given people a way of disconnecting with the horror of child abduction and crimes against children. So it now seems to be perfectly okay to post wild theories, terrible jokes, or factually incorrect or defamatory comments because Madeleine McCann is a household name. I think that's something we should all reflect on. The truth is that this little four-year-old girl is still missing and it is only the media interest that ensures she will not be forgotten. Thank you very much. And before I bring it up, uh, Roy Greenstein. Thanks. <coughs> I, I, I'm going to be incredibly uh, brief because I can feel the audience are desperate to get in on this, which uh, is why uh, Kelvin was right in saying that everyone, everyone has a view for some incredible reason, even though they don't know the facts, there aren't any facts, everyone has a view. I completely agree with everything that Clarence Mitchell said. This, and I'm going to address just the four questions that were on the paper that I didn't even know existed until uh, I came in this evening. This story went through four phases. The initial response from the press, and I'm talking really largely about the popular press here, who set the whole agenda on this story, the initial phase was sympathy. A child had gone missing, 
and the papers weighed in completely behind the family. Very short phase. Then came scepticism, which I believe is the correct and right attitude for newspapers to take. After that, a long period of suspicion in which the papers raised themselves all sorts of incredible theories based, as you've heard, largely on briefings from Portuguese police to papers or maybe not even that, but simply made up. And the fourth phase, which has overlapped the others, and you've heard this from Kelvin, is, although he didn't use this word because I'm, I agree with every, almost everything he said, except I put a slightly different spin on it, is commercial cynicism. Is, let's, look, let's not excuse the Express for the stuff that they've written. This was a headline in the Sunday Express two weeks ago. McCann's split by agony of Maddie. And when you read the story, the split is that she doesn't go to work and he does go to work. That didn't make me laugh, funnily enough. It didn't make me laugh at all. And that is typical of what you've seen in the Express, but not only in the Express. Because the other thing I do is run a blog. And whenever I post anything on the McCanns, people weigh in with all sorts of theories, accusations, filth, which has to be taken down by the moderators. No other subject that I write about on my blog ever has to be interfered with as much by the lawyers and moderators because of the wild, libelous, terrible allegations that are made on the basis merely of prejudice. But where does the prejudice come from? Some of it, in fairness, does come genuinely from people themselves. Before I came here tonight, I was speaking to my mother, and she said to me, whatever you do, make it quite clear that they're to blame. See, I love my mother, and I agree with nearly everything she says, especially about her deep and abiding regard for me. But she is expressing a view which is very common among people, that they have taken sides, as it were, and you can't overcome that. But, of course, newspapers and the media in general have done all they can to encourage my mother and people like her to believe the worst and in believing the worst, have allowed themselves to be guided, misguided, misled by everything that they read. So, just let me address these very, very quickly, these four questions. Has the mainstream media gone too far in reporting unsubstantiated allegations, unsubstantiated allegations and rumours? Yes. Yes. Because if you just read just a selection of headlines... Of course they're unsubstantiated. I read here, we, the parents did it. I read here, the McCanns are hiding a big secret. Written, by the way, by John Stalker, a man who knows a thing about secrets, in my view. Maddie dumped in the sea. Maddie killed by sleeping tablets. Maddie's in Morocco. Maddie's buried in Spain. It, don't tell me that any of those allegations were anything other the mere commercial cynicism, how can we keep this story running? So, of course, it's just simply been poor, inaccurate journalism. 
for which we shouldn't say, oh, well, as Kelvin says, uh, my single disagreement with everything that Kelvin said is this simple thing. Of course it's a great story, but does it mean that it justifies us publishing lies and inaccuracies just because it's a good story? I thought we were in journalism not simply about stories, but about truth. And there's a difference. You might explore this as media students here, a difference between stories and a difference between truth. Has the internet removed editorial limits? I've already addressed that. Of course it has. If you read blogs on this subject, and there's a very good one actually in Australia, but if you read blogs on this subject, you will see that people, as distinct from journalists, don't obey any kind of laws about defamation and so on. Did the media get the story in perspective? Of course not. Did it suspend its usual critical faculties? Well, in fact, its critical faculties were kind of overextended. It has become hypercritical. And what does it say about the stories? Uh, what does it say about our laws on defamation and prejudice? It says simply this, that the people don't care about defamation because that's the nature of gossip. You can say what you like to the woman over the garden wall, but now people are saying that to each other, over the water cooler, on the internet all the time. So I think these are the questions that we ought to be addressing and not be mealy-mouthed and simply say, oh, well, it's all right. It's really okay. It is an amazing story, but the scale you can't imagine. People keep saying to me, what's it like, this story, how in your lifetime? Kelvin says it's the biggest ever. I think it probably is. Not since the Lindbergh baby has anything like this ever happened before. And quite why this happened has to do, Kelvin's absolutely bang on this, is about class. You've heard that they were a working class couple, but they are seen largely as being middle class because of the nature of their, sorry, you said they worked their way up, came from working class stock. Yeah, okay, fair enough. But they've worked their way up and they are now in respectable jobs. And that has made a difference to how editors see it. We ought to say to ourselves, in the media anyway, that we've gone too far. And it's taken us nine months even to have a proper seminar about it. And I don't think that we, any of us, have anything to be proud about. I'll stop there. Thank you very much. So, um, so d d don't all shout at once, but uh, indicate and we'll, start, we'll take some questions. We'll probably take them sort of in groups and then uh, we can ask you all to respond. Uh, there's a chap in the middle there. Do indicate and I'll get a microphone to come to you. Chap at the back there next who you are. Hi, I'm the chap in the middle, Ivor Gaber, um, University of Bedfordshire. Um, I've got a genuine question, um, which has just occurred to me listening to Roy. And Kelvin said this is the most significant story of his lifetime. I quarrel with the word significant when you think of 9-11, Iraq, the fall of communism, but leave that aside. Roy says this is the biggest, so does David Mills. I've got a question. Is this the first time since Limburg, well, let's refer a British child has been abducted, on holiday? I don't know the answer, but I suspect not. Is this the first time a British child been abducted on holiday has had a massive PR effort to, to help, which I don't begrudge? It probably is. What does that say in terms of this is the biggest story and in terms of the naivety of the British media in being allowing itself to be fed, to be led along and to fool itself to believe that this story is significant? It is a tragedy. I desperately hope she's found. But it's not significant. It is just one of many abductions that happen over the years. 
Okay, thank you. I've got the chap at the back there. Do, do indicate uh, and I'll get the microphone to you. A question for Clarence. Have you, I presume you, you will have done, but have you ever considered the horrific prospect that if Madeleine had been taken, that the media fanfare could in fact contribute to whoever had taken her wanting to get rid of her as quickly as possible? Of course. Of course we've always considered the effect of the publicity on those who have her. Yes, and the police too consider that and advise that. But there has to be a middle line somewhere. You can't, what, what we were supposed to do, not publicize her in, in the hope that somehow somebody would see her and just recognize her as a missing child? That's untenable. We had to get the message out there as widely and as quickly as possible. Um, it, it is a fine line, though. You're right. Uh, and at times, the police have urged caution on whether we do certain things and say certain things, and we've always abided by that. Um, but I'm afraid the Portuguese police attitude from the outset was on the night that she went missing when the media were mentioned. It was no media, no media. We, don't, we just don't do it that way over here. In fact, when they sent a, a liaison officer over to Britain to see the incident room at this end, he was amazed to see a press office in Leicestershire Police. What, what have you got one of those for? Was the, essentially the thought. But they just do not engage with the media at all. And as I said before, in the modern era, it's just a non-starter. A child is missing. People need to know that and she needs to be found quickly. And so we did what we did, and Kate and Jerry do not regret anything that has been done in terms of media since then. Their biggest regret, and it's one that they've spoken about publicly and will, will repeat again, is that they were not with her when she went missing. And that was a mistake, and they accept that. And nobody, but nobody on this planet will blame themselves more for what happened than they themselves. But as I say, people are entitled to their opinion. We're aware of the split in opinion that it causes. But the only person that is responsible for Madeline's abduction is the person who took her, not her parents. Hi, I'm a LSE student. I was just wondering, in a case such as this, what should the appropriate balance be between Article 8, the right to privacy, and Article 10, which is the right to freedom of speech? And do you think that we should rethink the Reynolds defense, in your opinion? Well, we can, we can. What do you think the Reynolds defence? What was that? Yes. We'll, 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 we'll come back to that question, I'm sure. The chap at the back there in the blue. My name is Terry Donaldson. Um, my question is primarily to Kelvin McKenzie. Why do you think it is that uh, the, the media has focused so much on the Madeleine case, given that every year thousands of children are abducted? most for their body parts, some into sexual slavery, some sold to people that just want to own children or bring up children for whatever reason. Uh, and would it not be more profitable and more productive for the media to concentrate on these abductions or these processes also and to uh, support international agencies trying to put an end to them? Over there. How much of um, the fact that it was a slow news day... Just you are, Jemima. Sorry, Angela from Sky News, Angela Corp. How much of uh, the coverage do you think that was given to Madeleine was given so because it was a slow news day, because there were no other stories around? Not at all. Not at all. Uh, I don't think it has anything to do with it. In fact, Sky News, I mean, if you want to know, you know, uh, where, where you stand in your audiences, of course, Sky News' audiences went completely off the dial uh, the more that they covered um, the Madeleine McCann. I know within the BBC they had slightly, they, they held their noses slightly when uh, covering the McCann thing, which was, uh, I, I don't think, right. Hi, Paul Charwin, Head of Journalism at the London College of Communication. It's really a question for K 
Kelvin and uh, Roy. I mean, you've both been accused as representatives of the press of, you know, sort of peddling lies just to make money. I mean, is, is this any worse than the kind of speculation that we had after Lord Lucan or when, Di you know, I mean, Diana is still running, thanks for Mr. Bloody, you know, fired, but I mean, you know, um, is this any? Is there a step change? I mean, that's the difference, really. Right. Both of you. Do you want to answer that? Uh, <clears throat> well, I don't. You know, I don't think the Lord Lucan uh, case is uh, is synonymous with this one uh, in in any way. Uh, I, I, just the fact the fact that he the fact that he disappeared and so on. I think it's different in the relationship between a four-year-old child and parents. I think that's a completely different thing, and. You know, the, the, what, we've, what we've been subjected to is psychological evaluations of these parents and of the people surrounding them and so on in a way that didn't happen in the Lucan case. I think, you know, what we, we've moved towards a stage in the press generally, and I'm glad you mentioned the Diana because I think this is it, of incredible emotionalism in all coverage. And this case is, is almost the most perfect as it were, acme of an emotional story in which everyone can be emotionally engaged. And I think that's the difference. You weren't kind of, you were a spectator to the Lucan affair. In this one, everyone is heavily involved because they think they know, they wish they knew. And of course, and we, we haven't mentioned it, but I'm sure Kelvin will say the same. This is every parent's nightmare. Every parent can identify with this, and every parent is asking themselves, did I ever leave my four-year-old alone? Did I ever do this? I don't know whether people have been telling themselves the truth about this or not. But that, of course, and the idea that it happens abroad, and we all go abroad a lot, added to the kind of way in which people could identify. So it's self-identification is the key, I think. Thank you. There you go. No, I, I will come with you. I'll do it in, we'll do it in order here. I don't know if people at the back can hear this. What the gentleman is asking is whether, this, whether the coverage of this story is worse in any objective sense than the coverage that the media gives to other stories. No, it's, it's bigger, it's, certainly. It, but it, 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 it's different, and although I admire um, the way Clarence um, answers the questions, there is one significant difference about the McCanns is unusually and incredibly they are probably the main suspects in this case. I take issue with the word main. They are certainly suspects in it. So that when you're looking at it, I mean, I don't know. And by the way, you don't know, and none of us know, hmm. as things stand at the moment. Hmm. So incredibly, um, when we write about the parents, there will be those that will read it, and reporters who are writing it, who are correctly saying, they may well be the killers, if there is a, if there is a body. Do you see what I mean? This is, not, this is not just a simple case of a child disappearing they are also, the police believe that they're doing it. I have just one question for Clarence. Can I ask it? Nobody said about kids. They left their children alone. They did, yeah. Okay. I've got a child, I've also got a business since three years old. I've been
That's because they haven't been they haven't been asked back. Hang on, just, 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 just let it finish. Wait a minute, I, I can ask. Yeah. I can just let it finish. This is this is just. Right, but this is this is okay. the main point. We'll come back. To I sure. get in emails. To be honest with you. Okay, well, I can answer that. I can answer that very quickly. Uh, we have considered going back to Portugal. The police have made it clear that if there are any re-interviews to be done, they are of a mind to come to England, and we are waiting for them to come. And if they want to talk to the friends or Kate and Jerry, the sooner it happens, the better. They have nothing to hide. Every question the police want answered will be answered. It is not spin. If we feel it is right and appropriate to go back to Portugal, we will. However... If we go back in the present climate, it will become a media circus, the likes of which you haven't. Exactly, but, it, but the, the, wait, can, I, can I finish the point? The police will then feel there is pressure being put on them. The yes, they will. The Portuguese police are very sensitive to any... Well, can I finish my thought? Just let, finish saying no. we'll let me, let me finish, okay? The Portuguese police would, would see that as an attempt by us to generate more headlines, more pressure. You know, why aren't they doing something? We've come back to force their hand. I've just told you, but it doesn't uh, work that way. I think the Avengers currently is saying that's what I've they are saying. I've just told you, but it doesn't work that way. Okay. Anyway, let's, anyway. Let's, let's, okay. You, we, we will do whatever is necessary to prove Kate and Jerry's instance to get them eliminated from okay. the case. And if that yes. means going back, we will. We that, just that, this hasn't been appropriate at the moment. There, are, there are lots of people wanting yeah, to. Exactly. Okay. Uh, over there. Uh, oh, right. Hang on. No, no, hang on. Uh, hold on. We'll come back to it, please. Um, yes, you do. Alex Stevens from Evening Standards. Um, Clarence, how long can you go on with this for? How long can the McCanns go on like this? Well, um, the McCanns... The McCanns and, and also, sorry, I'll ask um, Calvin a question too. Do you, do you think that the public will ever reach saturation point with this? I know a lot of people who are really sick to the back teeth of it, of it as a story. It sounds really heartless. But they are. Or do you think that the majority of the public can continue their interest in this? Well, so Clarence, then Calvin. Take the microphone up there, to the middle of the back there. Briefly, right first point is the McCanns would go on... Go on for this to their dying day. It's their daughter. They want to know what's happened to her, and they want her home, or at least to have an understanding of what has happened to her. I'll work with them for as long as they and the backers want me to work with them. It's as simple as that. In terms of will the public reach saturation point, well, that's a question I think the media need to address, because you could argue the media are feeding that appetite in a lot of the, a lot of the cases. And I mean, I've also had it, you've said earlier, touching on that, raising a slightly subsidiary point, but the question about this is a class war thing. Arguably, perhaps, but nevertheless, any family, if it was a black family from, from a poor slum estate that were on holiday there and their child went missing, would it generate the same level of media attention that would require the likes of me or a press officer to be put in, in, in the first instance by the government? No, it wouldn't. So again, I suggest the media needs to examine its motivations and why it perceives one couple as being a, quote, better story than another couple with their socioeconomic background. We'll come back to that, Kel Kelvin, can you... Well, I mean, one of, the more, one of the more bizarre points, this doesn't really address your issue, but one of, one of the more bizarre points, and I'd like to ask Clarence about this, is that uh, most of the stories now, many of the stories, are coming out of the private investigators which have been hired out of the monies from the charity fund. <coughs> mm -hmm. Now, the one that you probably, I could cast your mind back to, would be the one where the head of the detective agency said, I'll have Madeleine 
before Christmas. Well, another distortion. He said in Spanish, God willing, we hope she will be home by Christmas. And as soon as it crossed the, the channel, it became she will be home by Christmas. And he was parodied and pilloried as a result. Uh, His comments were unhelpful. It has been made clear to him in no uncertain terms that they were unhelpful. However, to be fair to him, he was absolutely misquoted. The, the gentleman asks here whether that's justification for the cost the, uh, of the whole uh, private investigation operation. If, yeah. if, God willing, you had a child missing and you were to employ private investigators, it would cost you a lot of money. I so. uh, yes, I believe so. And the, and the M. Uh, uh, let me repeat the question. The gentleman asks what is the total cost of this operation to date? Publicly, we have stated that the Fine Madeline Fund are contributing £50,000 a month to their ongoing operational costs. They are costing a fee of about seven or £8,000 a month, but that 50000 is being spent on operational work. It's not going as a profit to them okay. in any shape. The, the lady has been waiting some time. Hi, um, my name is Yvonne Holden from the LSE. Yeah. Uh, I have a question for Clarence Mitchell. You stated in your opening that um, you know as an absolute truth that uh, Madeline was abducted. Um, is this, uh, I don't know if this has anything to do with a, a simple sword of truth at all. Uh, no, um, no, 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 listen <laughs> to me, please. I haven't finished. I am listening. I am listening. I'd just like to know how can you possibly know what the truth is when none of us knows what the truth is? Uh, I would suggest... I'm inclined not to believe anything that you say. Can I suggest that you actually quote me back accurately? I said, I believe Kate and Jerry are not responsible for Madeline's death. You said there are, there are two simple truths in yeah, this story. One, one you is, said there are two facts. One is you said one is fact is that she has been abducted. Yes, do you believe that she has been abducted yes, or are you saying it's the truth? No, I believe that she's been abducted and therefore I believe that to be true, yes. So and you're I, saying it is the truth because you believe it to be true? I'm saying it is the truth as I am aware of it. You can, we can argue semantics all you like. I'm saying... Yes, I think I, we should. I, I, can I think there's been far too, uh, far too much spin. I think the whole thing stinks and I think there's been far too much spin why, throughout why, this why whole does, case. If, God okay, forbid, can you, can you, you were to lose a child, wouldn't you want all the assistance you could get? It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. Wouldn't I, I nothing has been said to me by the authorities or by anything Kate and Jerry have done in my presence to suggest that it is anything other than an abduction. Hold on. We'll, 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 we will get there. One, one, more, one more comment from you, then we'll... Yeah. I met, them, I met them before. Hang on, hang on. People up there have no idea what's going on here. We'll be there. We'll get to it. Okay. We will come back to this. Can you, let, can you let, give us a microphone back? Thanks. Okay. We, look. Look. Please. Please, please. please. All right. Look. We, we, you, you, will, you had a chance. You, you'll, get another, no, you'll get another go, I promise. You know. You get another go, I promise. What do you actually right, hang on, want hold, us hold, to hold, do? Please, please, Clarence. What do you There's want? Someone at the back there has been waiting. There's someone at the back there has been waiting to speak. We'll, we'll come to this, can we? The person at the back there. Hold on. The person at the back there. Thank you. Um, hi, my name is Samantha, and I'm from Leeds Trinity and All Saints. Actually, this is a question for Kelvin. What I want to know is that the newspapers are they printing it in the public interest, or is it in the interest of the newspapers? All these stories about Madeleine. Well, it's clearly in the public. Thank you. There was someone it's behind there. The their hand up. I can't see who it was. Since they can't get enough of the story. So, you know, and, and, and at the same time, Clarence has said quite clearly, and since his organisation is the main conduit, conduit of most of the information now that appears in newspapers, that publicity is helpful by keeping it on the front pages or even keeping it on page 11. 
it does mean that the opportunity, if the child is, uh, has been abducted, uh, to, be, to be given up uh, is much higher. So, um, you know, uh, there is no difference uh, between what the newspaper has in mind and what the family has in mind, which is to try and get back with Madeline. Uh, in the middle there. Do say who you are, thanks. I just, Monica Rai, um, LSE alumni. I just have a question in general for everyone. Whatever happened to the presumption of innocent until proven guilty? Uh, everyone, these vicious attacks don't help anyone really. Thank you. We'll come, we'll come back to that in a second. Uh, Richard Peel. Uh, I run my own public relations uh, consultancy. I just want to go right to the uh, back, actually, at the very start of all of this. Uh, Justine said that uh, the McCanns have been advised by media experts to, uh, just let me finish the question, to release the balloon, as it were, effectively. And I suppose my question is, was this an emotional uh, decision, uh, because the McCanns clearly want to find their daughter, uh, or was it uh, a strategy? And if it was a strategy, was it thought through? And were they aware of everything that was likely to happen to them uh, in this kind of environment in which we now live? We can't hear you, Justine, so just stand up there if you wouldn't mind. The words I actually used, I didn't actually say media experts, I said experts, and I purposely used it in that way because it was in fact the people who deal with many of the cases in America of missing children and other people who gave, them, who gave strong advice that actually using publicity would help them find their daughter in the early stages. And I'm going to defer to Clarence because he was actually on the scene at the time. There were a number so who of, were they, Clarence? You're talking about right at the very beginning. The very, the, well, so, so in essence, who were the experts who told you that this was, who told the family that this was the right thing, the right way to go, the right thing to okay. do? Because it's clearly, ha it's clearly had Let's, whatever positive benefits. I'll, I'll, answer, I'll answer that as briefly as I can without, without going into too much detail. But essentially, it began even before Jerry and Kate had finished being talked to by the police on the night. Relatives back here were phoning news desks, friends were phoning GMTV. The BBC news desk was getting pictures of Madeline sent to them by email overnight. Well, that was nothing to do... No, no, um, that's how it started. That's how it started. So, so the media was aware of this child very quickly and material was coming in very quickly. And so it became a story almost beyond Jerry and Kate at that point already. Then the British Embassy sent a press officer down from Lisbon initially to assist. Mark Warner had their own PR uh, expert who, who came in to help them. Was it presumably with the objective of defending Mark Warner's reputation above all? You, and presumably. I, I wasn't there at that precise point. I didn't come in for about a fortnight after it happened. But basically, they were advised by both by he and the press officer from Lisbon that this is how we should handle the media and there should be a degree of engagement. And, that, and then the sheer volume of press became such, and um, television, that requests from the British consul and the, 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 the official channels went back to London to say, can we have extra assistance on the ground? In effect, can we have a press officer to help with this unprecedented level of interest? And that's how Cherie, Cherie Dodd, went out initially. And then when she had to come back, I got sent out. But didn't, that's that, how did, we got but didn't that lead you to, into a position where you started actively managing as opposed to being a buffer and merely dealing with it? So, but, so, but, but you, so do, you do have to. You, you in, do. At that stage, you're the source of quite a lot of the stories that we read in the papers. But you're none, the of, none of those were placed with malicious intent. They were done to help facilitate the press interest that was there. When I arrived, there were 40 television crews outside the door. Now, no one family can deal with that, as I said before. 
No, they didn't. They arrived of their own accord. Hang on, we'll, 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 we'll come back. The lady here, please. Anybody in the media? Um, Sorry. No, they didn't. Hang on. Uh, yeah, I'd just, just like to say please, it was been touched on before about, in some ways, the media have not helped the McCanns. It maybe has helped keep the, um, camp, um, the search for Maddie in the public eye, but... When I hear statements, and I've read them in newspapers and from official people, I think from yourself, Clarence, and some of the gentlemen over here that were talking before, things like it's normal for British parents to leave their children alone on holiday. It makes people so furious. Uh, it's totally unhelpful to McCann's. It makes us have less sympathy with them. And, that, and when they do express regret, it's really couched in quite careful terms such as we, we regret not being there at the moment she was taking, well, taken, rather than saying, if we'd been there, I mean, they did leave the, them alone every night, didn't they, and left them in the crash every day. Yeah. I mean, it's quite extreme. And they have said um, that they regret that. They've and they've not they've really said, you know, how, really expressed that. Therefore, I mean, how I got interested in this is um, frustration with the media and not having my feelings expressed, my point of view expressed, in the normal media. So I went to the forums, the internet. I've been on the Daily Mirror forum. Which That's been closed been, down now. Yes, because it was so defamatory. Um, now I'm on the three Arguidos forum. Um, and, uh, you know, there are some... There are some people who are quite extreme of either side, the pros and the antis. That's how they're divided. Um, I'm a fence-sitter more on the anti-side, okay. you know. But okay. So I just think the forums have come and the online comments have come as a result of a kind of collective gut feeling about this, that so, some things are missed. So that's, the, that's where you feel, you see your, you feel your feelings. And, there, and there being, you know, the, the, there's the lack of investigative okay. journalism... And that's why the forums are doing okay. their own investigations. Okay. Like people, can I just say this one thing? There's one post of instance yeah. called Ellie Bean on the Daily Miller forum who went out to Pride Luce and filmed how far the um, tapas bar was from the apartment. No journalist did that. They're all too busy sitting in the bar getting their expenses okay. paid. Panoramas. You can libel journalists as often as you like in here. That's absolutely fine. So uh, at the back there. At the back there. Good evening, Kelvin. Can you just tell us who you are, do you mind, thanks? I'm Felicity Green, and I'm a journalist uh, who spent some time working on the same newspaper as Kelvin. <laughs> so I think this question has to go to Kelvin. Thank you. It could appear, and I hope you will listen to it with understanding and not derision, it could appear very trivial, but for me, it's been such a significant part of this case, and that is the beauty of the child. If this child were ugly, if this child were not as appealing, the picture aspect would have slowly died away. I believe the child's beauty has given the story a momentum that is, to me, slightly artificial. Of course it's a tragedy, but such a tragedy to have such a place on newspapers and in the eyes of picture editors is deeply significant. If Princess Diana had been ugly, that would have been a different story, too. Kelvin? I don't doubt that it's another significant and significant twist that this is a handsome couple with a, with a handsome child. But um, I don't believe that, uh, you know, I don't know how, how I 
how you can refer to children at three and four is ugly, but um, I, don't quite, uh, I don't believe that had the child not been as attractive as Madeleine, then that would have affected this particular story because I, I think the story is so large. I'm Geraldine Sharp Newton, president of the Media Society, and I want to thank all of you, first of all, for an astonishingly open evening and a very important one. Secondly, I want to tell you all a story about what happened in the 70s in New York City. A little boy by the name of Aiton Pels walked out of his house to go to kindergarten. He was five years old. He was able to walk without his parents to school. He was never seen again. That day, he disappeared. That is some 30 years ago. And the media covered it, and they continued to cover it. It resulted in the campaign where lost children in America appear on milk cartons periodically. So these things, these awful, awful moments happen. We were all little at one point in time. Our parents perhaps did things that we weren't terribly happy with. This is a family that will have to live with this horror for every single day of their lives. They wake up to it in the morning and they go to sleep at night thinking about what has happened to their little girl. And I am astonished and dismayed by the cruelty and the classness of some of the people in this room. We should be bigger than that. And we really should. Yeah, my name is Wolfgang Schier. Um, I, w I would like to ask the panel, uh, it's not only um, the, the family and, uh, say, the child or the beauty of the child, and some might say the beauty of the mother, uh, the attractiveness plays a role, but also the locality, the fact that it happened in Portugal. I mean, would it be the same if it had happened in Portsmouth? Would people feel that they would have to bring up such a compa campaign to assist the police? Wouldn't people just think, let the police do their work? Admittedly, the, the Portu Portuguese police ha hasn't uh, perhaps lived up to the expectations, but do you think that has played a role in the whole coverage? I, well, I, 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 think it's, I think it's worked, and I know this from the journalists out there, it has worked uh, against, certainly against um, the situation that currently exists. There is outright hostility between the Portuguese police and the British press, not helped, of course, by all the stories describing them as uh, lame brains and plots over here for the mistakes they made in the first point. But the, your first issue, I don't think that's true. If it happened in Portsmouth, in some ways, I, I suspect it would be an even bigger story, frankly. Uh, and also, the British police would have handled it differently yeah. earlier on. We would have had reconstructions, artist impressions, everything else, which just hasn't happened in this case. For, for what? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, Richard Howells from the Centre for Cultural Media Research at King's College London. The thing that strikes me as perhaps most remarkable about this case is the contrast between Act 1 and Act 2. In Act 1, we have the McCann saintly and their suffering, clutching a teddy bear, audience with a pope. Then dramatic contrast in Act 2, and we've seen, heard evidence of this tonight, they become the villains of the piece. What I'd be interested to find out from the, the panel, the expert witnesses, is A, when precisely did this happen? But B, more importantly, why precisely did this happen? What tipped this story from Act 1 to Act 2, from sainthood to villainhood? Because it seems to me it can't be as anything as simple as the evidence, because the evidence is the thing which is most markedly lacking from this remarkable case. Uh, well, uh, the, the answer to that was, I don't think it's as simple as Act 1 and Act 2, 
because actually I would say that the Sun readers had already decided that they were villains from the moment that they knew that the child had been left alone and had been repeatedly left alone. So it's not quite simple. And of course, the reason they went to villainhood, of course, is because they became suspects. Now, Clarence can say that we don't understand the, the uh, definition of a guido here and that they aren't the main suspects, but they are suspects. And, you know, to ordinary people, the child has disappeared, the mothers are suspects, you know, they immediately go to two and two. And, and, and you, can't, you can't blame people for that. Do you think in the, ab in the absence of anything else that it, would, that it was inevitable that suspicion that the, the, the fingers, that the sort of searchlight would turn on them? I mean, in one sense, it, you, know, you, see, you see these things, you see these in lots of police investigations, <coughs> terrible, terrible events, but you know, the, the people who initially can appear most sympathetic you know, actually they turn out yeah. you know, some ghastly ways well, of being involved. The, the unfortunate fact... So, so, so at some yeah. point, someone was going to have to say about them, weren't they? Someone was going to have to say, I don't mean necessarily in public yeah. or in the press, someone was going to say, well, let's ask this question, are they? Well, hold on one second. I mean, the most uh, one, of the, one of the few facts in all these kinds of things is that 70% of, um, uh, of missing children turn out to have been, um, you know, harmed by their uh, parents. So um, that's an unfortunate fact and made more unfortunate by the situation here. How do you deal with that one then, Clarence, when, they, when, that, when that's pushed at you? I mean, it doesn't, that, does, that does rather make the Portuguese police, however ineffective or incompetent they've been, at some point they were going to have to ask these questions. Mm. Well, they did ask those questions. And, um, yes, I mean, the, the point is simple. It was pretty much when our Guido status was, was put upon them, people who were perhaps ill-disposed towards them anyway yeah. had their prejudices confirmed. Um, uh, as I said, and I'm not trying to weaken the image of the word over here, it, a suspect is, is seen as a pejorative statement, of course. In Portugal, it simply is a means by which they can question you, and it also gives you more rights. You can have a lawyer present, for instance. Uh, you can ask questions that you want the police to put to witnesses, as we have. We've because that's just the legal system, the way it works over there. So the, the, the question was, why do you need rights if you're innocent? Yeah, no. The, well, the, 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 and so, so this status yeah. is put on people if they are going to be talked to by the police, questioned in any capacity very often. It's quite commonplace over there. Mr. Amaral, the police officer who was in charge of the investigation, is our Guido himself in another case. And, and, that, and yet he's still able to function as a police officer, not on our case particularly now. With respect, I don't want to get into an individual argument with you in, the, in, a, in a public forum. We can have a discussion later if you want it. I'm very happy to have that. Okay, the chap there's been waiting patiently. Do tell us who you are. Thank you. Uh, my name's Chris Cook, uh, an occasional journalist, occasional public relations person. Um, the, uh, the, the topic tonight is what can the media learn from this? But I'm interested whether or not you think any of the panellists the public relations industry have something to learn from this because I think what we have seen certainly from this evening is actually there's an inherent suspicion of any official spokesman um, and I think that's more so now than ever has been before probably as a result of, of the uh, way government has spun things in the recent years and um, is there something that the public relations industry should be doing in PRing itself as, as you know th that you are a more reliable source of information and sort of in terms of what we can learn from this, it's not unprecedented for children to go missing and for parents to either be accused of negligence or indeed uh, suspicions <coughs> about their guilt in the case. That is not unprecedented. If this happens again, it is the choice that parent has to do nothing, 
be under a media barrage and then lose the media agenda, or hire a spokesperson like yourself and then suffer all of this bad press that goes with it? Are those the only two choices available? Well, you know, I'm a, journal, I'm a former journalist. I never worked in PR until this happened, and I find myself described as a PR spokesman. In actual fact, I'm a former journalist who worked as a civil servant for a couple of years, finds myself in this situation, and I'm doing my best, and I come at it from a journalistic point of view. I try to establish the facts as best I know them, and then I deal with them, and, and, and I honestly, as I said to you before, have never knowingly told an untruth in any shape or form in connection with this particular role now. Whether PR has something to learn from it, well, yes, perhaps arguably there is an, an image problem, and I think you're right. The term spin is associated with the world of politics, and that has probably damaged the wider industry in, so, in many people's eyes. I am just trying to tell the truth in this, and that is, that is the truth, honestly. Um, I'm not putting spin on it. I will help get stories out that we feel are beneficial to the search for Madeline. If we feel something practically can help, either through coverage of an image we want out there or a part of the search or process or a piece of information, we put it out there. If we feel that there is something of, of the wider issues surrounding Madeline's abduction that are valuable for wider discussion and dissemination, we will also talk about that. For instance... Do you I'll, think I'll you're be the best judges of that? Well, I mean, I have to look at it from the perspective of, if you like, my clients, Kate and Jerry. What about this bloke in, in Spain, Portugal? whose picture, whose draw, the drawing of him turns up. Yeah. He's described as a suspect. Presumably the world's press then, if, what have they found, him, descend on him. And this is because a private investigator thinks he might have some connection with. No, we have, we have honestly said there is a man of disappearance who was seen acting suspiciously three times before the McCanns were there, and we would like to find him to talk to him. As simple as that. Now, if there are people that look like him and the press then decide he might be the man, that's as much their judgment as ours. We are not going out to vilify a private individual. If the man is but That's the effect of what you've done. No, well, no, it's not. It's the same as the police issuing a, 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 an image of a man. There. Well, except they're the police and you're not. Yeah, but... In, but, we, but we have had nine months, we have had nearly nine months of, on the face of it, police inactivity in that country, and our investigators, uh, the police are working behind the scenes, I'm not criticising the Portuguese police overtly, but I am saying that, I am saying, I am saying, well, you know, okay, with respect, if we have in information which we feel is important, and we have private investigators... They haven't found this man. They've interviewed various people who they think might have been. Well, well how did that really help? Did it? I mean, in a sense, it's a matter of detail. We, the point we, is, is we, it appropriate for you, for you and the, on the family's behalf to be doing this kind of thing, I suppose, is the question. In, in the search for a child who's still out there and who we believe is possibly still being held captive against her will, we feel that it is entirely okay. appropriate to we'll put out relevant information. A couple more Simple contributions. Uh, there seems to be a lot of secrecy. Uh, Just tell us who you are. It would be helpful. Sorry? Just tell us who you are. Michael Robinson from Holland. There seems to be a lot of secrecy over how much is actually in the Madeline Fund, where the money is going there's, to, there's no and what it's being used for. No, I beg your pardon, that. There seems to be a lot of secrecy over it. No one seems to know where it is, uh, how people justify where that money's gone. Mm -hmm. uh, for, and what I see here exactly is the media from the three panelists here seem to be run down. <coughs> run down. Everyone blames the media here. We even had Justin McGuinness on stage belittling the Daily Express to a laughable manner. Well, uh, uh, excuse me, the same. Daily Express reported that she received over £55,000 from 
the Madeleine Fund, can she deny or confirm that report and also belittle it or confirm it? Okay. That's and right. also, okay. where I'd, I'd like the secrecy uh, of this money is...
to this kind of exposure. So, as we call the evening to an end, uh, thank you very much for coming. Please show your appreciation for our panellists and our Uh, just before you all disappear, um, I just want to say thank you very, very much for all of you for being here. We did manage to get some kind of debate, at least, about this issue. I'm very grateful to Steve and the rest of the team who put themselves on the platform as well. I'm also very grateful to the Media Society who have provided some support and helped make this event happen. Continue the conversation. Continue the conversation on the Polis blogs, on the Polis website. There will be a paper about this uh, over the next few days, and we hope the podcast will be up soon. And inevitably, I guess we'll still be talking about this for some time to come. Thanks very much. <laughs>